Hey everyone, Becky from The Shift Team here, and we're back with a brand new series to celebrate the symposium launch, a virtual gymnastics educational event hosted by Shift, June 10th to June 12th. Introducing The Shift Symposium's guest speakers, Scott Wilgress. This week's mini-podcast episode is another of the 2022 Shift Symposium's guest speakers, Scott Wilgress. Scott is one of the strength and conditioning coaches working with Gymnastics Canada and Ellie Black. He is one of many pushing the narrative and changing how we approach strength and conditioning in the sport of gymnastics. He will be presenting on day three of the symposium, discussing everything you need to know about upper body strength and power development. So if you're you're a, a strength coach and somebody walks in with like three or four gymnasts, what are your big rocks and sort of programming that you feel like you need to really start that sick 12-week program on? Yeah, to start it off, I think uh, number one for me, especially for, for female gymnasts, is going to be sprinting. So really starting to put some groundwork down on sprint technique. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean we go out into the gym right away and we start sprinting. Um we or sorry onto the onto a track or wherever because I mean you know gymnasts they sprint a lot but I think one of the things that could be benefit gym, gymnasts I found can benefit from it, sprint technique is a sense you know on a vault uh, runway if they're running in a straight line at a constant speed that's a repeatable speed every time without you know some deviations left to right because of because of something that's happening with a, with a technical issue or some ar- an arm is swinging um, you know differently one stride to the next. Um, that's going to be huge for, for vaulting. Um, yeah. So I think that sprint technique is one of the things that I that I really cue in on. So, you know, we start really, really easy there. We start with like wall drills. Um, we start with, yeah, so static static sprint type uh, drills. Uh, we start with some really easy like rudiment, um, rudimentary type track uh, drills like marches and skips mm-hmm. and that type of stuff. And I think that, that that's, for me, it has been really, really helpful in, in kind of ingraining some some speed technique. So speed would be one of the big rocks. And then the other one, and I touched on it a little bit, is is just really getting those those major patterns ingrained without causing a bunch of soreness. So squatting. And again, I talked about goblet squats, but you can regress that further to, you know, whether it's a landmine squat or an assisted squat where you have, you know, you're using maybe a TRX or something to really help them get some some squat pattern and squat depth without, you know, incorrect technique whether it's at the knees or the back or something like that um hip hinging technique so again looking at dumbbell rdls or dumbbell single leg romanian deadlifts as two of the kind of early ones that are easy to do with very little weight and just you know getting the the balance and the actual hip hinge versus a a hinge somewhere else up up the back or or something along those lines um and then some, some some simple um push pull type patterns right so you know, it might just, and gymnasts do tons and tons of push-ups, as we all know. Very few of them uh, do a great job at doing push-ups, in my experience. So, again, if, if they're going to come in and see me, you know, I'm not going to have them do hundreds of push-ups the way that, unless they do them well, then, you know, whatever. But um, a lot of times I've seen there be some issues, you know, with whether it's flared elbows or, or shoulders up by ears, um, you know, starting to repattern that stuff so that when they go to the gym and, and do their do their push-ups, you know, they're doing them. Uh, in a way that's a lot healthier for the shoulders. Um, so that those those four patterns, kind of the push, pull, uh, squat, and hip hinge. And then the final one, which I didn't mention yet, which I should have mentioned right around the speed piece, um, is probably jumping and landing mechanics. I really cue in early on, and especially landing mechanics, because it's another another thing that you know the sport of gymnastics. It's jumping like day all all day every day. So again, I, I don't need to come in and do 
at least I don't think with a, with a, with most new gymnasts that come into the weight room, we don't need to do um, extensive amounts of plyos right off the bat. Like they're going to be doing that at the gym anyway. But what, what I like to try to do is reinforce some some landing mechanics, you know, with really simple things like um, like box drops or or snap downs. Um, I like to do a lot of single leg uh, landing mechanics, especially. So we'll use like mini hurdles, like six inch mini hurdles, to do some static jumps where they just kind of jump over the hurdle, stick the landing. You know, the knee's not wobbly anymore. The foot, you know, you have a good good posture within the foot, um, and then that's repeatable. And once that's repeatable, we kind of move on to instead of static uh, repeated. Then we kind of raise the height and so on. So there's there's a, a progression in place for those those things as well, um, in terms of jumping slash plyometric type type movements. How did you guys yeah, navigate you know that conversation around like are we doing too much? Is it not enough? Is what we're doing in the gym helpful? If not, like what were your guys? What were your markers of progress or maybe having to pivot a little bit when you guys were doing stuff together? Yeah. So this was uh, there was there was lots of really good stuff early on. Um, you know, I would probably I would try now. You know just with the way that my contract or my, my overall um, job landscape looked like back then um, it was the, my time with gymnastics at the beginning was, was pretty limited. So I, but I would try to get to the gymnastics gym at least once a month, um, you know, to, to have to sit in and watch practice, hang out with Dave and, and see what was going on. Um, Dave, would all, Dave was also really good at shooting emails back and forth when he thought there was needed, but you know, he was really good with, he, he trusted Ellie and he trusted and he trusted me. So I think that the biggest thing was Ellie and I had a really good um, back and forth communication and, and Dave would be good passing messages through Ellie. You know, if Ellie was was feeling tired, like, you know, initially I was doing I was doing logging and monitoring with Ellie uh, well before I was doing it on the national uh, level. And, you know, if, if things popped up in the logging, um, it was really easy to chat with Ellie. And, you know, maybe we're going to pull back a little bit here or or something along those lines. The other thing that I did. From, a, from an early time now, I used to use, um, so I've been using force plates for a pretty long time to, to monitor, you know, jump uh, metrics. And when I first was was doing this, I was really only doing it with Ellie and like two of the kind of Olympic hockey players I was working with because I had to basically by hand um, calculate the metrics I was getting out, which was long division. Kind of, <laughs> kind of sad. Yeah, I had this, great, I had actually a pretty, I was proud of my spreadsheet at the time until I realized <laughs> that if. I just paid a little bit more money. I could, it'll all happen instantaneously. So anyway, we've, <laughs> we've gone down that road, but there's been a few metrics like, you know, jump height, um, reactive strength index from a counter movement jump, um, uh, stiffness, those types of things, those, those types of metrics we've been monitoring for a pretty long time to, to get an idea of physically how things are going. And the other piece, like we talked about the sprint sprinting, I probably have three years of weekly sprint times for, for Ellie. Mm -hmm. Um, from I would say 2013 to 2016, we were pretty heavy into doing into monitoring um, 20 meter sprints with a five meter fly at the end, and we'd get an idea for top speed there. And you know, we would kind of know, and 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 through our through our meetings with with Dave, we would know where we were in the yearly training plan. We would know if we were in a period of of you know planned kind of overreaching. I guess is a, is a good way to put it. We would know if she was supposed to be tired, and if those those speeds were down or the jump metrics were down. You know, we were okay with it because that was something that had to happen in order to stimulate growth. What um, what you feel your role is in filling in the gaps there, like it, whether it's like things that you're planning, movements you're doing, or where you find okay, Dave can handle this, I'll handle this. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty well. I don't know if it's an easy one, but it's something that I've come to uh, a pretty solid understanding over the last bunch of years. Um, and you know, when I first tell people that are maybe involved in strength conditioning or involved in you know. Um, 
personal training or something along those lines, you know, they would, the first thing they say when I, they hear that I work with gymnastics is, oh, you must do like tons of strength endurance and, and core and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I do pretty much none of that <laughs> because, because they do that all day, every day. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about what the big rocks are at the very beginning of the programming net. So now, you know, having worked with, with uh, Ellie for eight years or, or nine years, you know, the big rocks are, are things that she doesn't do in the gymnastics gym. So it's really along a like the kind of maximal strength lines, like making sure she maintains a decent level of maximal strength. Um, because again, that's something that's not going to happen. Like, you know, you're not going to deadlift um, 250 pounds. Now, not that everyone has to deadlift 250 pounds or anything, but it's something that, you know, we've kind of seen as a bit of a, of a, of a KPI for, for us in terms of just maintaining a, a good level of strength that's going to support her from a injury prevention speed power yep. standpoint. Yep. Um, and then, and then a little bit more on the kind of this loaded, I guess, loaded power side. So we, we chatted a bit about this. Like we don't do any Olympic lifting or anything along those lines. We, we might do a bit of Olympic style things, but more in like a landmine. So, yep. um, you know, more, a little bit more control, uh, you know, no barbells overhead or anything like that. Um, and then, and then some trap bar, um, or, or hexagon bar, like jump work to get that loaded power stuff that we're doing. And again, that was something that we started doing, you know, four or five years after we started working together. So, you know, slow cooking in the process is definitely, um, a, a thing. And then okay, it, what are the KPIs, the key performance indicators for these athletes to know we're making sport specific progress. And I think that, uh, is exciting in terms of like people like yourself, like me, like Dan Lonsdale in the UK, who are kind of tip of the spear on maybe innovating a little bit and figuring out like, okay, what does the science say? What are the athletes say? And we're kind of giving people some guidance on kind of what to focus on. But at the same time, it's exciting because there's so, in my opinion, there's so much performance benefit left on the table because we don't use the best of both worlds traditionally and also with gymnastics. So I don't know any thoughts on that kind of stuff before we dive in the next one. I think, well, it brought up some, something for me. Like I, I remember when I first started working with gymnastics, one of the first things that I do is, you know, dive into the literature a little bit and try to figure out what are the key performance indicators that are out there? Like how has it been studied? And, you know, in as of 2011, I would say that the best resource and probably still is the best resource for, for, you know, scientific literature on female gymnasts, especially uh, in terms of physical preparation outside of the gymnastics gym would be William Sands. He was working at the USOC for a long time, I believe. Yep. with with gymnastics and you know one of the first ones that would show up would be you know repeat um repeat jumping for for floor performance and the correlation that existed there um so that was like one of the first things that was one of the first tests that we actually started doing was like a 30 second jump test and i still do that with the national team at this stage but one of the things that i think i shifted a bit over the last bunch of years was how do you get at improving that do you get at improving that by improving their jump their their endurance which you're probably doing in the gymnastics setting all the time, or do you improve that by improving the upper end, the kind of the, the floor or the ceiling, whichever one, however you're looking at it, I guess. Um, those are opposite things. But what I'm saying is like, if they can jump higher once and they have a good level of endurance, is that better than jumping lower and having a good level of endurance? I would say it's better to have that, that upper end ceiling that they're then going to come down from versus having a low level that stays flat the whole time. So that that's, so what I'm getting at with that is like, really having those those like lower body power metrics being um some of the things that i'm tracking and, and keeping an eye on so that knowing that it's going to have a trickle down effect on the on the endurance side just by having that that one time um ability be higher how do you frame yeah. the year of 
say it's after a big Olympic event or a national event, and you know you have a window where it's going to be strength-based, how do you plan your training steps towards like, okay, the end goal is explosive body weight power. How do you build a periodization funnel towards that? Because I have my opinion, but I don't want to bias it. And then I, I kind of want to actually learn from you and what you do versus maybe what I suggest. Okay, yeah, like really, 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 I guess, high-level overview of the periodization that I would think about uh, from that sense. You know, starting out with, you know, four to six weeks of sort of return return to the weight room, um, you know, higher, slightly higher rep, but again, not really to max, but so some, for some time under tension uh, type work to, you know, really build, you know, tissue quality, uh, tendon and ligament quality, that sort of stuff. And also regroup some, some patterns again, because, you know, if we spent a bunch of time towards the end of the previous season, just like jumping and sprinting, um, you know, maybe our squats are going to be a little bit shallow or, or whatever, like, so regrouping some, some movement patterns, four to six, maybe even eight weeks, depending on the person, um, coming back, moving on from there. That's usually when I'll, I'll hit like a, a bit of a max strength type phase. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I, depending on the person, you know, you know, some people like Ellie, I'm again, at this point, we're really lucky. She's like four weeks and she usually goes back to wherever she had been for, for strength. Yep. Um, but you know, some people it might take a little bit longer. So, you know, somewhere in the six, give or take week range of, of, you know, sort of strength type work. And this is now when we're looking at, you know, rep ranges around five, you know, give or take, maybe, maybe we get down to threes towards the end of the major lifts. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of, again, keeping a couple of reps in the tank. Cause we're not, again, we're not trying to stimulate too much muscle growth. Um, so we're keeping some reps in the tank during that strength phase. Um, and then I usually do. So now we're looking, uh, you know, 12 to maybe 16 weeks into the off season already. Um, and then we're looking at, you know, getting a little bit of uh, a little bit of power strength crossover. So I, I, I love to use contrast lifting, you know, take advantage of that post activation potentiation type phenomenon that, that's out there, um, you know, which means essentially doing a, a heavy but not again, not maximal lift paired with a body weight explosive type uh, movement, you know, with a little bit of rest so that and the idea there is that, you know, the heavy weight kind of primes the system for that that body weight type movement to um, to be a little bit more explosive, get a little bit more out of that. And so get, get into that type of stuff. And that's, again, that, that phase is usually a bit shorter. So four to six weeks tops. Well, I think we're, um, we've gone through so much awesome stuff. I guess my last parting question is what are your pieces of, you know, advice you have for the sport of uh, coaches or whoever else, or mistakes that you made that you look back, you know, eight years ago when you started and you're like, Oh, my bad. <laughs> you know, like what are the things <laughs> you would give for recommendations? Because like I said, I think that this will be the biggest change we see moving forward in our world. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest mistakes that I've made are, are definitely some of the th things that I've talked about in terms of what, what not to do. So, you know, making sure you don't go too full on, too fast. Um, you know, making sure communication. If you're if you're a strength coach or any um, other um, service provider working with a gymnastics athlete, making sure that the communication is kept up with the coaches. So the coaches know what's going on. You know, you've you've made a plan and agreed on a on a on a plan um, and agreed on some outcomes that you're going to measure. And all that sort of stuff. I think that that's huge, um, you know, to to create buy-in with the coaches. I think it's really easy to only focus on the athlete if that's the person who's coming to the weight room or coming to the gym all the time. Hopefully, you enjoyed this mini podcast episode. Tickets and full information can be found online at www.shiftmovementscience.com/2022/shift-symposium.
Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful and that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.